Welcome to the first episode of the Wagging Tales podcast. Now on this podcast, we intend to be telling you the stories, or the tales, if you like, of our companion animals and their journeys through rehabilitation, through training, from start to finish, from being astray and being brought into the home, or any of these great stories that you hear from people all the time. We're going to be talking to animal welfare group volunteers, people that put in the effort to really help a lot of the strays or the animals that are in shelters that need help and how they have come to do that and what they actually do. We're also going to be talking to professionals, whether that be people that work in rehabilitation centres, daycares, groomers, trainers, behaviourists, nutritionists and vets, many, many more as well. And we're effectively going to be building up a number of good tales that will help people learn and keep you entertained with regards to our companion animals. So without further ado, let's introduce your hosts. So we've got myself, Fraser Noble. And I'm Jay Quick. And the reason that we are doing this podcast is because we both have a very deep passion and love for animals. Now, to get a little bit more of an introduction on myself, I am a dog trainer and a behavioural specialist. I grew up on farms in the countryside of Ayrshire in Scotland, and I got a real love for animals very young doing that. And just with life experiences and having had many pets, I have come to the point where I do this for my profession and absolutely love it. And for myself, I've grown up with animals my whole life. I uh, mostly stayed with my grandparents when I was uh, still a kid. We had easily 10 over cats at home, like four or five dogs. Once even my grandfather brought home a snake from his camp in the army. And then he got kicked out of the house by my grandmother. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so without further ado, we're going to start talking about the session. I'm going to tell you a bit about what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be discussing Frazier's dog, Athos, who has been from a very long journey of being an aggressive dog. He was not allowed to be near people. He was so scared of basically everything that you can think of. So Frazier, tell us, how did you come across Athos? Well, at the time when we first met Athos, I was still working in oil and gas and I'd been promoted into a position where I wasn't supposed to be traveling as much. And as a result, we wanted to have a dog. And we went to one of the puppy drives and April, my wife, instantly fell in love with this dog. Right. He was in the pen. He looked so gentle and so meek. And he was very, very much apart from the rest of the litter. He was not doing very much, but he was incredibly gentle. And we thought that's exactly what we are looking for. Now, I didn't realize it at the time, obviously now I do, mm -hmm. but the reason he was so meek and so gentle as compared to the other dogs was an extreme lack of confidence. So it wasn't that he was just a gentle dog, it was that he was scared of all of the movement going around at the puppy drive. So. We ended up adopting Athos and we fell deeply in love with that boy and still am to this day. Yep, yep. But as he got a little older, 
he started showing real signs of what would be easily described as aggression. So about how many months old was he when these uh, signs started to show? The signs started to show about six months old. Okay. Yeah. So when this happened, he effectively started getting very aggressive towards old uncles, effectively old men. And we'd be walking down the street and he'd lunge towards them and snap at them. And at this stage, I was still thinking very old-fashioned style of training. I did, I did a dog training cert when I was about 17, 18. Um, so while I was at uni, I could, I could use that. And I tried it with those methods, but those methods are very out of date. And although they might have an effect on some dogs, when you're dealing with a dog that's so scared adding more fear of trying to be dominant and things like that doesn't actually have the effect that you might think. So could you tell us more about these methods that you tried in the past? Okay, so well, the methods I used with Athos when I was doing it alone was the use of like a choke chain and basically when he showed aggression, trying to snap him out of it by showing what people would refer to as dominance. Mm -hmm. Then we hired a number of trainers actually to try and fix this problem because effectively I felt that I wasn't equipped. The problem was is that the trainers that we hired were using similar methods. So what we effectively did was made him worse. Yes, his training got better. He was able to do more commands. He actually started to behave quite well with me but he was behaving quite well with me because he was scared of me right. because I was the one doing that type of training. Yep. Whereas when somebody else walked him, that wasn't the case at all. So that was kind of the way that we went down. And at one stage, there was even a trainer that put a shock collar on him. And I remember with regards to his aggression towards dogs, which I hadn't mentioned yet, um, he was selectively aggressive towards dogs. Effectively, any dog that showed anything a dog that growled, a dog that snapped, a dog that was overexcited, mm -hmm. he would go for. So he might be playing very happily with some dogs that he was friends with, and then another dog would show up and he'd end up in a bloodbath. And it was very stressful, and very stressful for the dogs, obviously, but also the other dog's owners and, and us as well. And when this trainer used a shock collar on him, in the beginning stages, it actually seemed to be working until Athos understood what it was. Mm -hmm. And then it got much, much worse after that. So we ended up doing a lot of things wrong in that sense. And I understand that there are different camps of training. But the long story short of it was is that I ended up having to go back into education. And I ended up doing a diploma in canine psychology and behavior, and then going through more dog training certifications and rehabilitation certifications, both online and in person. Um, I even went back to the UK to do an in-person course with a double PhD, actually, which was incredibly fascinating. But the biggest thing that blew my mind 
was the fact that I did not know how to help my dog until I went through this. Right. And I know this is not what we're necessarily talking about, but this is why I ended up going down the road that I'm on now is because not everybody is going to quit their job and yeah, go course. down that path, and nor should they, because it's a wee bit crazy. But um, it's just such a big deal, you know, to be able to help your dog out of that sort of massive fear. Right. So after you took all of your studies done, got all your certificates, diplomas, degrees, and stuff like that, how did you approach handling ethos? Well, the big difference was, and this is going to sound very corporate leadership training, is mm -hmm. I approached him as a leader right. and not as a boss or an alpha or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And the big difference there was is I built steps. We did exercises and games and training based on ensuring the ethos understood that no matter what, I was going to be the one keeping him safe. And as a result, he does not need to react at all. Mm -hmm. So the safer he felt, the less reactive he became. And of course, that was the end result. There's a lot in between that we had to build a, through with management techniques so that we were able to reduce the chance of anything going wrong. So how old was Athos when you felt like you did not need to stress as much about him reacting to other people or dogs? No, oh, it took a good few years. He was about two and a half right, right. before I felt more comfortable allowing him to interact with older men especially. Yes, yeah. um, and even today, some old men he loves and some old men he will just say, you know what, you can come and say hello to me, but I'm not going to hang around. That's fair, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, we as humans don't like everybody we meet. Yeah. So it's not fair to expect a dog to like everybody they meet. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it took time. But one thing I will point out is that it took a little bit longer with Athos because it wasn't a case of me going away, doing studies and coming back and doing it. Yep. It was trial and error as I was studying. Of course. Because I wasn't going to just stop working with Athos while I was doing that. Um. But yeah, once we had all the management in place, we got him to a decent level of, you know, basic training. Mm -hmm. Then we were able to start building out behavioural adjustment exercises. So it got to the stage where when Athos felt threatened, where he would normally bite or, bite or attack or go for it, he knew that he was supposed to come and sit at my heel or stand in middle, which is just between my legs. Mm -hmm. And that meant that even if there was a real threat, yeah. I could help him. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the biggest exercises that changed the game. Right, right. I wish I could get my wife to do that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when he's about two and a half years old, you got more comfortable with him, you understood him better, and of course, at the same time, he trusts you a lot more. Mm. How long did it take for the rest of the family to feel the same way about Athos? Well, luckily, at that point, it was just my wife and I. Mm -hmm. And uh, April is an incredibly smart lady, and she picked up almost everything that I was studying without actually having to do the study. So it was quite lucky in that regard that as a couple, we were very close with this process together. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but as for the extended family, those that don't realise we've gone through that journey, yeah. they were obviously fine straight away. So, for example, like when my mum came over from Scotland, she was just like, oh, he's such a lovely dog. He's, he's great. And yes, he is great now. But if we'd seen him when he was much younger, then that wouldn't have been the case. Or even when it came down to people like my father-in-law, mm-hmm. he was an old man. Yeah. And he had, he had zero fear. I mean, this, this is a man that grew up in the campongs. Mm-hmm. So he had no fear of dogs. So he was fine coming into the house. But Athos wasn't okay with that either. So, like, it wasn't so much that the family needed to warm up to him as much as he needed to warm up to the family. Once he was okay, it was much easier introducing people to him and, of course, other dogs as well. But uh, it's more about what was done before that stage, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Because although we did do the behavioural adjustment trainings, like giving them the choice, do you want to interact or do you want to stay safe with me or... Do you want to show some confidence here or do you still need my support? And you're using exercises to give him those decisions. But it was also the concept training, which was the big, big game changer. Mm -hmm. Because these are exercises that are not directly linked to the problem. These are exercises that, well, they're games really, that your dog gets to improve their confidence or improve their optimism in a certain situation or improve their grit so that they've got more drive to actually try and succeed. And building ethos up that way, I truly believe that that was the biggest aspect. And that's why now he is so much better. He's really calm. Yeah, most of the time. Yeah, definitely in comparison. He still comes up to greet you and stuff like that. Yeah. That's very nice. So what was your desperation point? What was the breaking point that you decided, like, you know what, screw this, I'm going back to study this myself. Okay. It's usually, like, you know, a really bad encounter or something. Yeah. Now, this was a very stressful one. And before I say it, I'm going to be very clear that I'm not going to be giving names or details or locations. Yeah. But... uh, We had a situation where we were in a certain park and it was just Athos and I and uh, this gentleman came over with his full standard size poodle, so the big poodles. And Athos and the poodle said hello, they seemed to be doing okay. Mm -hmm. So both of us sort of relaxed a little bit. Um, And then the poodle snarled and snapped Athos. And the moment this happened, I I kind of knew what was about to happen. Yeah. And Athos, although he only had a small cut on his ear, he then bit into the other dog's muzzle. Okay. And went through the bottom jaw Oof. and straight through into the roof of the mouth. Ouch. And... For me, that was the final nail in the coffin. I was like, right, I've had trainers involved. It's not been working. I've tried what I know. I need to reach out to somebody and help. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting in touch with some guys I used to work with back in Glasgow who did security dogs and things like that. 
and I asked them for help and they obviously said, oh, we can't help you over the phone, Fraser, but yeah. what we can do is put you in touch with people that can help you. And that's how I ended up going down the path of learning the more academic side of things because when I got in touch with, it was Dr. Tom Mitchell and he has a training school in Devon. And he was like, okay, these are the courses that you should be doing. And of course, then come to me and I can help you out more. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm not going to fix this for you. Yep, yep. And to me, that was fantastic. So that's effectively how that went down. And of course, I apologize profusely to the Piddle's owner to the piddle and I made sure I paid for all the vet bills and yep. compensated for anything needed compensating but the most important part about that is something that I did know already at that point do not get angry at your dog for reacting mm -hmm. because, because a lot of people if uh, if something like that happened to them with their dog they might give up the dog yeah yeah some dogs will get put down because of such a serious I mean, incident at this point there was no way that was going to happen yep. we'd had yep. ethos We'd had him for a good eight, nine months, mm -hmm. no more, maybe at that point. Yeah. There was no way I was giving him up. You know, he was my dog at that point. It just wasn't happening. So, yeah, that's, that's basically how that went down. And that was how we managed to do the rehabilitation process. Mm -hmm. And now we actually use Athos as a demo dog. Both you and I have used him as demo yep, dog. Yep. You can um, show him off. Well, more, I don't think of it as showing him off. <laughs> I think of it as... He's now able to help other dogs that had the same that have the same problems that he had, yeah, or similar, yeah. or similar, and now he's able to actually help them by being the calm influence, mm -hmm. by being the one that's in control. And to me, that is a great journey that he has made. And yes, of course, I was there, you know, helping him and doing the training and the rehabilitation. But in my mind, Athos is the one that has done that journey. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's, it's his effort and his rehabilitation story. Yeah. Okay, so that was Athos's wagging tail. Frazier, it's time to put on the work pants and then we're going to be talking more about aggression to help some of you listeners out there understand your dog better if they have any sort of fear, reactivity, dog aggression, food resource guarding, and all of that sorts. So we want to start off by talking about the development stages as you can see throughout the talk with Fraser, we had, we just had, I was talk, I was asking about ages, how many months, how many years old was Athos when this happened or that happened? Yeah, so that's a very important part because especially when we have rescue dogs like Athos, or even puppies that we've got from breeders or puppy mills, which is unfortunately very common these days, we tend to get them at around about 12, 13, 14 weeks. Now, of course, some people have got their dogs earlier than that, but that's really not ideal. But the important thing to remember is that no matter what has happened to our puppies prior to them coming to us, we cannot control it. And as much as it's important to understand what they've been through, if it's possible, there is no point in lingering on that. But we can control how we shape our dogs from the moment we get them. Now, as much as... Listening to the story about Athos, you can see very clearly that I did not do that correctly. I got him around about 15, 16 weeks, almost, yeah, about four or five months we got four him. Five, yeah. 
Um, so he was right in the end of his socialization to human period, the puppy development stages. Which is he from was, how many months old? So uh, socialization to humans is from around about six to seven weeks till about 15 to 16 weeks. Okay. Yeah. So anything that they do with regards to humans has an impact on their socialization to them, which is why it's best to keep everything positive when you've got a puppy. We've got to remember they're babies. Does this affect them interacting with other dogs as well, or just humans? Of course it does interact with other dogs, but more on the social learning aspect. Right. If a human is acting a certain way towards their dog, the dog is going to learn from that. Maybe not as directly as a human would learn from another human, mm -hmm. but there's certainly an impact on that. Um, the bigger impact comes into the five-month period when their flight instinct period kicks in. Yes. This is when they learn what they should be running away from. So whether that be humans, vehicles, noises, other dogs, no matter what it is, that's their learning phase. And that goes from about five months till about eight to nine months. And that's their flight instinct period. And then around about six to seven months, you get into the second fear imprint period. Now, when they're a bit younger, at around about six to seven weeks, they have their first fear imprint period. Normally, that's when they're still with the mother. And that can have a big impact when the dogs come from a jungle or a factory, things like that. Because what they need to be scared of in a factory or in the jungle does not apply when they're domesticated, domesticated sleeping in our living rooms yeah. and things like that. But this second fear imprint period is much longer. And this is from about six months all the way to about 14, 15, sometimes even into the 16th month. And this is when we can either build our dog's confidence or break it down by doing the wrong things. Right. And that is very, very important. That's kind of what happened with Athos, right? Yes. Unfortunately, I... Uh, I broke down his confidence a little bit in the attempt to get him to behave without realising. Unfortunately, yeah, in the way that, that some people might think is acceptable, he did, but that's... It was emotional shutdown. Exactly, Like yeah. my ex-girlfriend, right? <laughs> Dude, your, your relationship status is going to be all over the internet here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that is something that unfortunately did happen with Athos, and that was probably why it took a lot longer for him to get brought back out of the hole. Um, but it can be done regardless what sort of phase it is. We've even done work with dogs that are 9, 10, 11 years old right. who have lived a full life of living in fear and being known as, oh, the dog's just like that, they're just skittish. And then we've managed to build up their confidence so that they can have a much happier end of life, which is certainly worth it. The old saying of you can't teach an old dog new tricks it, it does not apply to the most up-to-date cognitive science that we know on dogs. The old-fashioned training, yes, it was a lot harder. Nowadays, knowing what we know now, it's very, very achievable. Because it's always changing, right? There's always new studies oh, coming out, researchers. Oh, yeah. The minute we stop learning, then we cannot call ourselves professionals. Mm -hmm. You know? So when Athos was still in training, in rehabilitation, and he would get into fights with, not exactly fights, but he wanted to attack 
other dogs or people, what was your go-to at that point in time? If a dog suddenly starts fighting for another dog, what should they do? Because, you know, they're in their freeze, flight, or fight response, right? Mm -hmm. And Athos seems to be away from freezing. That's not going to help him. Away from flight, he's not going to run away, and he just wants to fight. Well, the important thing to remember about freeze, flight, and fight response is that the reason they go into it is because either they feel personally threatened or they feel that a resource is being threatened, whether that be food, water, attention, family, whatever else. But then that crosses into the third one, which is sex drive, which is when it's more related to spouse, puppies, things like that. Although family. Family. Although, admittedly, with regards to dogs having spouses, that's not really how it works. Yeah, yeah. But in a human element, definitely, that's a big thing. Now, with Athos, it was almost always down to the fear of being personally hurt. Survival. So it was his survival instinct that was kicking in. So the best thing to do is effectively ensure he feels safe. So shouting at him, smacking him, all of that kind of stuff does not work. Mm -hmm. In fact, sometimes people think it works because the dog will stop the behaviour. But all you've done is added more fear on top of that fear, which means that he's closer to that red line of actually turning on you. Yep. But if you make them feel safe, you're bringing that away. It's like if your boss shouts at you every day and then you just keep quiet, take it in, take it in, you're going to explode one day, right? Exactly, exactly. So, with regards to Athos, I actually would do my very best, once I knew, I would do my very best to read his calming signals. Now, these are the signals that dogs use to communicate. And the ones in particular that I was paying attention to was on what is normally called the ladder of aggression. Now, that starts from simple calming signals such as yawning or blinking a lot or licking their lips or nose. But all the way from licking their lips and nose, the top of that ladder goes into like serious bites and mauling and things like that. But what we have to do is actually try and identify what stage our dog is in the moment. So when Athos was playing with another dog, for example, I would watch him. Is he feeling comfortable? What's his body language like? Simple things like, what's the position of his tail? Is he over-aroused? Is his tail bolt upright? Or is he getting very nervous? Is his tail getting tucked in? Now, if these are happening to anybody's dog, but in this particular case, if it was happening to Athos, I would stop the play. Because I knew that if I didn't catch it beforehand, I wouldn't be able to step in to make him feel safe. So... If I noticed him turning his body away or trying to just walk away from a situation and the other dog wouldn't let him walk away, or if his ears were getting pinned back or his tail was tucking and things like that, that was the moment that I wanted to intervene and bring Athos away from the situation and make sure that he knows he's okay. And even within doing that, yes, that's management, but... We're also ensuring that our dogs know that we are paying attention and they know that we are keeping them safe. The problem comes when you miss that. So what happens if you 
let's say you're on your phone in the dog run and your dog plays, yeah, it's a bit too much. So effectively, that's when you're going to start seeing things like they're going to start to stiffen up and they're going to stare. Now, this is not so much on the aggression ladder, but that's actually going into the predatory chain now. Mm. Now, the predatory chain sounds like it's all about being a predator and hunting and things like that, but we all have a predatory chain even with regards to self-defense or attack and things like that. So first of all, you orientate and then you lock in. So when your dog is stiffened up and staring, they're locking in on a target. This is when it gets very difficult to redirect them. And it's super important that we should be able to read them so that we see everything before that. But if you've not, it gets very challenging. Because the point after that, you get into growls and snarling, and then you might get a snap or a warning snap, a warning bite. Like the air snaps nip. and stuff. Yeah, like an air snap or even just a nip. Mm -hmm. So when dogs nip, they've not really bitten, although they have used their teeth. Yeah. They're warning the other dog or the person, look, I am feeling incredibly unsafe here. Should back off. Back off, leave me alone. And then obviously if you don't pay attention to that, that's when you get a proper bite. Yeah. And that's when you start having to look at the Dunbar scale and how serious it is. Right. But are we talking like about like the dog biting and holding on or just biting? Well, that, that all depends on? on what sort of level of the scale right, right. the dog does. I mean, that that's a conversation for another time, mm -hmm. to be honest, because uh, there's so much to that. Mm -hmm. But if your dog or if Athos in this situation was in that stiffening up and staring mode and he starts snarling, and snapping, or even if they start having a dogfight, yeah. that's when you've got to be very, very confident in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time, people aren't, and that's when it can escalate and get very, very bad. People start screaming, shouting, yeah, hitting exactly. the dogs. Exactly. You're adding more stress to an already very stressful yeah. situation. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to stay course, calm in those situations. I'm not pretending that everybody can just snap their fingers and do it. But what I was doing in that situation with Athos was ensuring that there was no locking on. So if there were locking jaws or anything like that, you wouldn't do this because you're going to cause a lot of harm. Mm -hmm. But what I would do is I would ensure that I am wheeling them away. You're not pulling them away because yeah. that's going to create more trouble in the fight. Yeah. But I would literally make sure that my leg was on his rear and I'd pull him the to the side, side. yeah the side of his rear yeah. and I'd pull him towards me mm -hmm. so that he was going away just now, making like a 180 turn almost yeah. the reason that you're doing it that way is so that you are not going between yourself and a dog you do not know yeah because that other dog might just latch onto you mm -hmm. now that's a very important aspect as a piece of advice the other thing I did is not something I would advise to do very often, but I was very, and am very protective of Athos. And I would actually go between Athos and the dog, using my legs to separate them. Okay. Now, yes, that did result in me getting bitten in the leg a couple of times by the other dog, but at least Athos was safe. I reiterate, that is not a piece of advice I am giving. I'm just telling you that's what I did. In part, because I knew the damage Athos would do to the other dog. Yes. If I hadn't, and knowing that if he had too much damage, that would result in him being put to sleep. Yeah. And that was something that I would not accept. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what you've got to be aware of. And that's, of course, what I had to be aware of with Athos. Mm -hmm. 
So when ATOS, if ATOS bites and locks in, do you still do the same um, management? No. Trying to walk in. In that case, you've got to release the jaws. Mm -hmm. This is when it gets into a little bit more real. Yeah, because we're talking about ATOS is what, 38 kilograms? Luckily, he wasn't quite that big at this <laughs> point. But uh, yeah, I think even when he was between six months to a year, he was still knocking on about 25, 26. Yeah, and that jaw strength is going to hold on. Yeah. yeah. So what I ended up having to do is knowing that Athos had that potential. I actually had this horrible little tool, mm -hmm. which is used in the dogfighting industry. Okay. And it's a jawbreaker. It doesn't actually break the jaw. Yeah, yeah. But what it does, it's like a plastic butter knife. It's not sharp, but it means that you can slide it into the jaws and turn it okay. so that you release the jaws so that you can pull the dog away. Like a wrench, I guess. Almost like a wrench, but yeah. it's, it's plastic, so it's not going to damage the dog's jaws or teeth or anything like that that's something that i hope nobody oh, needs yes yes it's a horrible situation to be in and it's a horrible fact that you've got to go to a tool that's used in dog fighting to deal with it because yeah. that's actually what you're dealing with mm -hmm. in that moment as a dog fight the most difficult part about that situation is not really getting your own dog to break away it's the other person's dog mm -hmm. because the other owner might not have a clue what to do. A lot of people that have dogs are genuinely massively reactive, have no idea how to respond. And that's when you've got to be able to get your dog behind you and walk away as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and something I would advise is if you know that your dog has a potential to get into these situations, set your dog up for success. Only let your dog play with dogs in runs or parks that your dog has walked with, that your dog has socialized with while in a very controlled situation. Yeah. Do peer-to-peer -peer walks where the dogs have got to be beside each other, but they're on lead, being walked properly on loose leash so that the dogs get used to each other. And the likelihood of that happening is much less. Yeah. It doesn't take it away, but it does make it a lot less likely. You're setting your dog up for success. And for crying out loud, get help. Of course. Nobody should need to go through that journey the way Athos and I did. Yeah. You know, it can be much easier as long as you know what you're doing. And knowing what you're doing means getting coaches. All right. Awesome. Thank you for sharing Athos's tale. We've reached the point of our podcast whereby we have questions coming in from you guys, the listeners. So the first question comes from Guan in Singapore. He asks, or he says, I'm not sure if my dog is playing or being aggressive. He seems to be playing very rough with other dogs in the dog park to the point that other dog owners tell me to leash my dog and leave the area. How do I know what state is he in? Okay, well, the first thing to understand, Guan, is that dogs playing rough is actually quite normal. But there is an issue with not being able to tell what state they are in, which is what we need to address here. But before I do, a lot of these owners that will say, oh, your dog is playing too rough, please remove him. Your dog maybe is not. So that's an important aspect as well, is that you need to respect the other person and their dog and the other person's wishes. 
but don't let it get you down. It could be perfectly normal. However, if your dog is showing signs of social awkwardness or not knowing how to respond, then this is something that we need to work on. First thing to actually be aware of is the ladder of aggression that we spoke about at length just earlier there. If you're able to see any of that within your dog and you can capture it beforehand and remove them from the situation, that's going to be the best thing that you can do. However, if it is just play, you want to be looking out for these signs of social awkwardness, not knowing what to do. Because when they get to that stage and they become over aroused, that's when it can actually switch to potential reactivity quite quickly. So things such as even when they just introduce themselves to another dog, are they running up and going straight nose to nose? That's not socially acceptable. Are they jumping on dogs that they've never met before straight away? Because that's not okay as well. Other things such as humping and pinning the dogs that they've not met before straight away, that would be classed as being too rough and quite socially unaware. And if that's the case, you've got to look at socialising your dog appropriately, which effectively means being able to communicate with other dogs in a very calm manner. Um, we do actually have an article on the Noble Canine website which addresses this. It would be good to go and have a look at that. But effectively, if you are seeing any signs of aggression, you've got to deal with reactivity. If you're seeing signs of social awkwardness, you've then got to deal with appropriate socialisation. And if you're not seeing any of this, it could be that your dog is just playing rough and that the other owners don't like it. And if that's the case, yes, you've got to respect them, but don't worry too much about your dog. So I do hope that helps. Our next question is coming from Emma, who's in London. So she's saying, I have a four-year-old German shepherd that has a bite history when he was two. He once bit a lab in the dog run and bit my uncle when he was visiting. I've done a lot of training with him, but I'm very scared about letting him interact with others again. How do I know if he's ready to do this? So, Jay. Well, Emma, it seems like you have to know whether you're ready yourself. It's not so much of just your dog. I'm sure that there was some history behind it more than just a bite. You probably have to look at what led up to the bite? Was he being very stressed? Did you just have a party the night before? Did he have a really stressful day at the groomers and stuff like that? All of that leads up to him biting. And you have to also look at what kind of bite it was. Was it like just a, a nip, a warning bite, a stress bite? Or did he go full on onto latching into your uncle or the lab that he saw? Most of all, you yourself have to be calm when you want him to interact. I can't tell you right now if you should let him interact or not you have to read the signs yourself. If your dog is calm, you have to be calm as well. If you get stressed up, your dog's gonna bite again. Because all your dog is seeing is that, oh, my handler, my owner, my family member is stressed, but I don't know why you're stressed. All I see is that there's this other dog right in front of me and my owner is stressed. So that's how they're gonna think. This other dog is making my owner stressed. I have to bite this dog before my owner gets too stressed. Okay, this next question is from Sonia in Singapore. I have a two-year-old toy poodle. He seems to bark at anything and nothing. We can't even watch TV without him going crazy. 
We tried to have guests over for Christmas and he just wouldn't settle at all. What do we do? Okay, so Sonia, um, the first thing to understand is that dogs do not bark at nothing. There's always something that they're barking at. And even when you can't see or hear or smell whatever they're barking at, remember that their hearing and smell is so, so much more sensitive than ours. That they could be barking at something that's very legitimate. Um, I'll tell you a little story with actually one of our dogs. Our youngest dog, Porthos, one night he went into the bathroom and he started barking up into the corner of the room, just looking up at the corner between the ceiling and the walls, and he was barking. Now, my wife said to me that, what's he barking at? This is really weird. It's starting to freak me out. I don't know what he's seeing. And I was thinking, okay, well, they don't bark at nothing. That's just a factor. So just out of management, I removed him from the situation and calmed him down. And then about half an hour later, the light bulb blew. So he was hearing the buzzing of that light bulb about to have blown, and we couldn't. So he was barking at something. So it can be anything, really sensitive little things like that. So with regards to your toy poodle, you've got to try and figure out exactly what he is barking at. Is it the sound of people walking outside the door? Is it the lift if you're living in an apartment block? Or is it other dogs outside? It could be a number of things. But if you can figure out what it is, that means that you can then counter condition it. Counter conditioning effectively means replacing that stress with something good. And you can do that through some very effective exercises. The next thing to understand is that maybe he's very, very stressed. So you're getting upset because of the barking, but how is he feeling? And do you need to do something to help him feel more calm? If he is noise reactive, then you've got to understand that maybe having him in the room while we're watching an action movie or while you've got guests over for Christmas, he's not going to have a very large bandwidth to deal with that. And that's when you can give them calming timeouts. These are not punishments. These are being able to put your dog into a nice relaxing area, giving them something to engage them, whether it be a snuffle mat, a stuffed Kong or a long lasting chew, something like that, that they can sit and chew on and relax and engage themselves while they are away from the proverbial chaos effectively. And that's one of the best ways to actually help him in the moment. Other than that, if you're really struggling with this, again, there's a lot of information out there. I know we also have information on the Noble Canine website about this. Um, but I'm sure that you're going to be able to get some good results from doing counter conditioning with whatever he's barking at and simply helping him to relax and understanding that he is feeling stressed. So sometimes all you need to do is reassure your dog and they will settle. So I do hope that helps on you. Okay, so our final question for today is coming from Katie in New York. So she's saying, we've just got a brand new puppy. He's 14 weeks old and a Husky Lab mix. We have an older Labrador who is very, very patient with the puppy. However, the puppy is continuously annoying them till the point that the older dog is eventually telling him off, even though he's normally incredibly patient. What do we do about this? So, Jay, do you want to take this one? Yeah, well, Katie, it seems like you getting a Husky Lab mix sounds like a Red Bull Espresso. 
It's just <laughs> energy on top of energy. So that and being a puppy means that he's always overwhelmed. He's always excited. He always wants to find something to play with, someone to play with, or someone to disturb in this case, right? And your older lab, he's not doing anything wrong. He's just he's just old. He doesn't want to be annoyed by a small young young kid all the time jumping in his face, climbing on top of him, nipping him and stuff like that. What you have to do, apart from management, which is usually just separating them when things get too overwhelming for especially your older one, is that you have to teach your puppy that calm is good. You have to always reward him for being calm. You have to teach him that boundaries are to be respected, not just with the older dog, with everyone in the family. Because if he doesn't know what his boundaries are, you bring him out to, let's say, the dog park or you just run into another dog in, on your walks, he's going to run up to the other dog thinking that every dog wants to play with him and he can go all out. And that's where accidents happen. It could actually end up a little bit like one situation. Yeah, pretty much. So the other thing to think about with that one, Katie, is that with the management side of things, you could have your puppy on a house leash so that mm -hmm. the moment you see your older Labrador showing signs of discomfort, whether that be the ears coming back or his tail rapidly wagging in a very upright position or a very low position, that's when you want to separate your puppy from the lab. Not because the lab's done anything wrong, but so that we are teaching the puppy that that is not appropriate behavior. We have to teach them to be good canine citizens and not get themselves into potential trouble later on. Um, the other thing that I'd just like to add to that one is when we have infant children, we ensure they go down for plenty of naps. And we're very, very consistent with that. Um, with our daughter, when she was very young, she would have two naps a day, sometimes three. As they get older, we drop some of the naps. And at the moment, she has one nap, a very short nap in the afternoon. And I'm sure that's going to disappear at some point quite soon as well. Our puppies are the exact same. So when they're this young, we've got to ensure that any time they show signs of being overwhelmed or overexcited, if they've not had a nap recently, we can pop them into their pen or into their crate or whichever methods that you're using to ensure that they are getting appropriate rest. And don't worry about them getting a little bit sort of attention seeking at the earlier stages. That's perfectly normal. Just make sure they've got something to engage themselves in their crate or pen and don't worry about it too much unless it's going on for absolutely hours. But teaching our puppies manners is the best way to keep them safe as they grow. Okay, and that's our Q&A session done. Sorry we didn't have more time for more questions. But I'd just like to add as well that since we're talking about aggression, all we can do on this podcast is tell you our experiences, give you what we think is good advice. But when it comes down to actual aggression, I would still always recommend you to get someone to come down and assess the situation or at least get an online consultation because there's a lot of signs that you might miss because you, you might not be trained to be able to spot things like the ears falling back, even though it sounds very simple, but it might be a split second thing for your particular dog that you might miss, but we'll be able to help you with that. 
And with that, this is the end of this episode. We really hope that you guys have enjoyed this and you've found it useful. If you have any questions that you would like to ask for the podcast or you'd like to reach out to us to give us feedback, anything at all, please find us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is Wagging Tales Podcast on Facebook and you'll be able to find us. We're also going to have that in the show notes as well as the links that we spoke about during the Q&As as well. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.